You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good evening. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of the Saturday edition of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. My name's Charlotte Greenway and it's Friday the 3rd of December. It's been a busy week on the podcast, not only building up to this weekend's action, but also reviewing the Robbie Dunn hearing day by day, as well as the Graham Gibbons Freddie Talitsky case, which we'll revisit a little bit later on. But first, looking ahead to this weekend's action, there's some real stars on show on both sides of the Irish Sea. The John Durkin at Punchdown on Sunday looks to be a cracker, with Envoy Allen taking on runaway Ryanair winner Alaho in the same ownership, as well as Joseph O'Brien's Fakir Duderi. And after a wide margin win in a handicap last time off 152, Asterian Falange probably shouldn't be overlooked either. Possibly the most intriguing runner this weekend is Fernie Hollow, who only ran once last year due to injury in a novice hurdle, but he lowered the colours of Bob Ollinger that day and we all know what he's gone on to do since. Willie Mullins seems confident that it's the right decision to be going chasing with him this year and it'll be fascinating to see if he can make up into the Arkle horse that many people think he could be. The showpiece on this side of the Irish Sea is the Tingle Creek at Sandown on Saturday. Willie Mullins sends over favourite Shaquem Poussois, who was narrowly beaten into third in the champion chase at Cheltenham in March. Nube Negra finished ahead of him that day and he'll be hoping to land his first grade one, having filled the second and third spot a few times. Paul Nichols has a fantastic record in the race and he'll be trying to win it for the twelfth time with either Celebration Chase winner Grenatine or the highly thought of Hitman. Nick spoke to Paul Nichols earlier in the week about the two and what he was expecting from them this weekend. Okay, but uh, Hitman's a, a horse who came back with that run in the Horden Gold Cup, and I, you were sort of expecting him to win. He didn't win. But what was your reflection on the run? Well, he ran very well. He travelled it oh so well, jumped well, jumped the last until half, put his ears in front, which he'd done before entering. Probably his first time he's ever raced, you know, when there's been a crowd at the races. Um, because the, the only other times he's run, he, he, he'd obviously there'd been no crowd. I don't know. I just think he'd put some cheap pieces on him just to just focus his mind a fraction. Um, and he's one of those horses that probably the better the race and leader gets further will suit him better. So, you know, he's got to step up on form, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Will it be Harry on him and Bryony on Grenatine? Yeah, well, I haven't decided that yet. I'll have a talk with him. But, I, I, yeah, I, I think like, Bryony won the, you know, the celebration chase and then gets on well with him. Um, and to be honest with you, I know the ratings say differently. I wouldn't be surprised there's not too much between them. And any other um, sort of significant horses likely to be out at Sandown? Well, I have put Il Rodito in the Henry VIII. Um, he had a nice run there on Saturday. Didn't do too much. Um, he gets in that race Saturday, I think, with 10 stone 5 with a four-year-old allowance. You know, if everything was all all right, we might well have a look at that. He was ridiculously um, impressive the other day. I mean, I know he was carrying no weight, but he looked like he yeah. just jumped in two out. Yeah, well, obviously, um, he, he was in the condition to him. The four-year-old's got their allowance at that hat. So about three runs over fences to be qualified to run off his mark and of course he'd had a fall in a second in France then was third at Newton Abbey today so it was perfect and I knew he was way better than what he'd shown at Newton Abbey he did sustain an injury that day I got jumped into 
I wasn't expecting that, mind you, but we always thought he was a nice horse. So when they're progressive, it's, it's worth following that. So it might be worth a chance on, on, on the weekend. Completing the Tingle Creek field is Captain Guinness, who's got ability, but his jumping can sometimes let him down. There's also top-class action from Huntingdon on Sunday, with the feature being the Fitstairs Peterborough Chase, where Grade 1 winners All Mankind and First Flow will be in action. All Mankind put up an impressive display last time out in the Old Roan Chase at Aintree, winning off a mark of 160, and two and a half miles round a flat track really seems to suit him. First Flow galloped the Clarence Housefield into submission last season, and if he gets the trip, he should be right on All Mankind's heels. His trainer Kim Bailey spoke to Nick in the middle of the week about his decision to run in this race over the Tingle Creek. Um, it, it was a very easy one, really. Um, the fact they got the word watered ground in it. Um, the horse is a soft ground horse, um, and the thought of watered ground um, over two miles around Sandland really wasn't what I wanted to go and do. I mean, if the ground had been good to soft, soft in places, we'd have gone to Sandown, but see, it wasn't the case. So uh, the horse has been ready to run. He's been geared for this weekend. They've got slightly better conditions, or I hope they've got better conditions at Huntingdon. Um, and it, it opens up a slightly different um, area for me, that if he does get the trip, it makes my job a little bit easier. Um, there's a slight discussion in the, in the, in the camp that uh, he will or won't get it. I think he will. David Bass says he won't. So probably he'll ride in to make sure he won't get it. Uh, right. I think I, I think I see what you mean. He's not going to change his natural game, though, is he, David, on this horse? David can't change his natural game, so the end, uh, I don't mean that rudely. One Iota, he adores the horse, and uh, you know the horse had run over two mile two, two mile three before at Ascot um, on both occasions on very soft ground. He's run well, but he hasn't won over it. Um, we have to find out, and not only that, but we are very, very limited as to where we can go. Um, there isn't another race now to the Castleford Chase at. Uh, um, Weatherby, um, and that's not necessarily ideal either. Um, so we are on the lap of the gods. As I say, he's been ready to run, um, and this has been his weekend of targets. So you know, I don't really want to let him down. He's not the easiest horse to train at the best of times, so and we need to get a run into him. I mean, his signature career performance thus far was the Clarence House last year, where he thumped Belitalog by seven, racing post rating of 169. I mean, it, it, presumably, you want to go there. That will be the, obviously the next target. So therefore, I, you know, it is important I get a race into beforehand. So um, you know, it's quite a long way off yet. But uh, um, you know, I, he's a, as we all know, he's a horse that prefers soft ground. Um, but I've got to, I've got to get him on the racetrack. And I mean, they promised me at Huntington the ground will be will be as described. And uh, you know, that's fine. He's not a heavy horse by any means. He just happens to go through soft ground better than most. And just a quick reflection on that performance at the Cheltenham Festival. Okay, sixth out of nine doesn't sound very flash, but he was not beaten very far. And given that he's got a marked preference for going right-handed, it was a it was a hell of a run in the circumstances. It was an extraordinary run because actually down the far side, David was virtually pulling him up, um, and he couldn't get him around the bends. Um, and he was only beaten, I think, seven or eight lengths. Um, so it was an extraordinary. He is an extraordinary horse. He will run through a brick wall for you. Um, um, he, you know, he's a freak of nature in many respects. But uh, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled with him. Um, and uh, you know, we've we've had a we've, we've done a little back operation on him since last year, which is the latest fashionable thing to go and do, um, which might or might not help him as far as going left-handed is concerned. But I'm not planning to go and try that out quite yet. At the BHA headquarters this week, Robbie Dunn's hearing over his alleged bullying of fellow jockey Bryony Frost has been taking place. 
and Lydia Hislop gave a comprehensive report of Thursday's action on this morning's episode, which if you missed, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to. Lee Mothsed was also on the podcast this week, and he reviewed the first two days of the hearing on Thursday. Well, yesterday, Nick, in many ways, was, I suppose, the, one of the, the big days in this hearing, because it was a day when Bryony Frost was present um, at the BHA's High Hobart headquarters in London. She gave evidence uh, for most of the day. She was uh, heavily questioned by the barrister representing Robbie Dunn, Roderick Moore. And I suppose for what felt like about three hours, I think, over different sessions, she gave robust answers to a series of questions. De- the defence barrister's job in a situation where someone has been accused of bullying somebody else, I suppose, is to discredit the other person. And the the significant line of Roderick Moore's questioning was to imply that Bryony Frost, in a way, was mistaken and that she hadn't been bullied and that it was actually teasing and that in her head she'd made it into a bigger deal than it actually was. And I think watching that played out over a long period of time, I found quite uncomfortable. Um, and I thought that Bryony Frost handled it very well indeed over the over that period. She did become emotional um, on a number of occasions. She became a particularly upset when recalling the instance at Kempton where um, Chris Maud, the, the jockey's valet, um, and Richard Johnson, presumably extremely well-intentioned, had tried to organise a meeting between Frost and Robbie Dunn in one of the physiotherapist rooms at Kempton Park. And the thought of that greatly upset Bryony Frost yesterday. The three panel members will ultimately have to decide if they are satisfied that the the charges levelled against Robbie Dunn have been uh, proven. Bryony Frost said, of the isolation I felt for speaking out, I wouldn't wish on anyone. She gave examples of how that isolation, how that ostracism has been played out in the last year or so. And also she gave specific instances of occasions where Robbie Dunn's behaviour, in her opinion, hadn't been satisfactory. And that wasn't just the threats levelled against her after the, the Southwell race or some of the uh, expletives that Bryony says were held at her, but she also spoke about instances where she said that Robbie Dunn had presented himself naked to female jockeys. And Lee, although only one of the seven charges against Robbie Dunn includes the word bullying, it was quite notable, it seems, that Roderick Moore, on Dunn's behalf, sought to spend quite a bit of time attempting to define exactly what bullying was and to differentiate it from something that might be perceived as less serious. That's right. I, I wonder if if this line of questioning really hits home on the fact that the, the most powerful um, and the most emotional and potentially the most damaging of the, the charges against um, Robbie Dunn does relate to bullying because this idea of a male jockey bullying a younger female jockey, I think is, is particularly uh, unpleasant and distasteful if that was proven. Roderick Moore says, my suggestion to you, Miss Frost, is that's not an act of bullying. It was unprofessional and it doesn't reflect well on him, but that's about it, isn't it? So that was a big thrust of the, the Moore line uh, on on Wednesday, that Bryony Frost hadn't been bullied. She might have been mocked. She might have been teased, but she hadn't been bullied. 
I think watching yesterday, it felt to me very clear that Bryony Frost feels she has been bullied. Also at the High Court this week, the case between Graham Gibbons and Freddie Talitsky has been taking place, where Talitsky is seeking £6 million worth of compensation following a life-changing fall at Kempton in 2016. Again, Lydia provided a detailed description of yesterday's action, which you can find on this morning's episode. But towards the beginning of the week, Lee Moss had reviewed the first few days, starting with Jim Crowley's comments on Tuesday and Pat Cosgrove's contribution, followed by Ryan Moore as an expert witness on Wednesday. The headline on the Racing Post story is Gibbon's breath smelled of alcohol at Kempton, and that came from evidence given to the High Court by former champion jockey Jim Crowley, who spoke in relation to Graham Gibbons, a jockey who has had uh, issues with alcohol in the past. They have been widely reported. And Jim said uh, in the court yesterday, it was quite a, he said that Gibbons' breath had smelled strongly of alcohol at Kempton. He said it was quite a common occurrence. I was used to it. And so were other members of the weighing room. Now, in response to this, uh, Graham Gibbons uh, said in relation to the, the accusation that there was alcohol in his breath, there's one, that's one person's opinion of that one day. There were 35 other jockeys in the weighing room on the same day and none of them smelled alcohol. And if they had, the stewards would have been alerted. However, when pressed as to whether he could be sure there was no alcohol on his breath, he described uh, Jim Crowley's assertion as questionable. There were two interesting um, uh, interjections or two interesting questions uh, that Lawrence put to, to Pat Cosgrave, senior jockey, uh, who had come back from uh, Dubai for the hearing. Um, in one instance, Lawrence put to Cosgrave this question, are you aware on the jockey's grapevine of a disgraceful incident a few months ago when a well-known former jockey tried to pressure Mr. Gibbons to give evidence to help Freddie Talitsky and then assaulted him. No, replied Pat Cosgrave. As you say, um, Nick, uh, the, the, uh, the, the barrister representing Freddie Talitsky, according to Chris Cook, our man who was in the courtroom, shot to his feet describing the question as out of the blue and not mentioned pre-trial, including in Gibbons' own statement. Now, Lawrence then goes on to say that it's not material to any case I want to advance, but he felt it was relevant to raise in the court. And it will be interesting if over the remainder of this week that is raised again. There was another instance, I think, Nick, when, when Lawrence put to, to Pat Cosgrave uh, an, interesting, um, an interesting question, an interesting scenario, because Pat Cosgrave at the day at Kempton um, gave very different evidence to that which he presented to the High Court yesterday. Speaking the High Court on, on Tuesday, he said of the incident in which Freddie Klitschke got injured, there was obviously room to go there, for Freddie to go there at some stage. If there wasn't, he would never have got that far. And asked by Lawrence why he hadn't said that to the stewards on the day, Cosgrave replied, it's a code of conduct in the weighing room to stay as neutral as possible. Ryan Moore was in the uh, in the hot seat and he was questioned by the barrister representing Graham Gibbons, Patrick Lawrence, QC. And as on Tuesday, when Patrick Lawrence sought to, to question the neutrality of Jim Crowley, when Jim Crowley had spoken about Graham Gibbons and the, incident, the same sort of line of questioning was, was directed towards Ryan Moore. Ryan Moore has produced or helped to produce a, a report 
with Freddie Tulitsky's solicitors on the race. And I think as a result of that, Lawrence was saying that Ryan Moore's mindset had been changed and therefore the evidence that he was giving was influenced by that and by his sympathy for Freddie Tulitsky. Interesting lines from Ryan Moore, Nick. The whole thing has been tiresome and boring and sad. To be honest, it's a lose-lose either way, he said. When Patrick Lawrence uh, attempted to, to state him that he was uh, significantly uh, sympathetic towards Freddie Tulitsky, Ryan Moore ex- expressed sympathy for both parties um, and also made clear his view crucially, that Graham Gibbons hadn't been riding in the way that he should have had at Kempton, that it was dangerous riding. He spoke of Graham Gibbons having had considerable tension on the right rein. And when it was suggested by Patrick Lawrence that the the way um, that Ryan Moore suggested Graham Gibbons should have been riding, i.e. allowing Freddie Tulitsky through that gap, uh, when Lawrence suggested to Ryan Moore that he would never have behaved in that way. Ryan Moore retorted with, respectfully, your suggestion is wrong. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy the action from both sides of the RSC this weekend. And Nick will be back with you, as usual, on Monday morning. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.